0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the newest episode of Demo Day, the podcast for entrepreneurs and venture capitalists where we demystify the culture of joining one of the top accelerator, incubator, or VC programs from around the world. I'm your host, Sean Goldfaden, CEO of Coefficient Labs. And on today's episode, we'll be interviewing Ben Smith, Managing Partner of Chance Spending Ventures and the host to the Chance Spending Podcast. Ben has built and sold several venture-backed startups, including Blaze, which was acquired by video behemoth Vobel. He's one of the first 200 employees at Google and helped bring YouTube to market in Los Angeles currently ben invests and advises in dozens of startups in the US and international markets. On today's show, we'll cover the keys to intelligently growing your network, why teamwork is one of the most important skills for all winning founders, and what is the real difference between A+ team members and the rest of the pack. Also, Coefficient Labs is giving away a $10,000 growth hacking package for one VC and one founder that leaves a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast. So if you're watching this on our website or currently listening to it on Apple or Spotify, go run over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Please, 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 please. Thank you. Without further ado, let's get into demo day. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Demo Day. Thank you for having me. I'm very glad to be here, Sean. Awesome. So Ben and I uh, met each other first at uh, your podcast. You run a podcast called Chance Bending, as well as run your own venture studio through Chance Bending. i um, really, really excited for anyone that wants to check out an amazing podcast uh, following other business leaders. Go give Chance Bending uh, a look. It really uh, was an enjoyable experience for me. Uh, I wanted to get this... Podcast started off uh, somewhere in the middle of your life and your career. Uh, If you look at sort of your your LinkedIn, your resume, you'll see that you know you have uh, jobs spanning from YouTube and Google. You have worked for Fullscreen. You've started your own video business. Uh, A lot of what you do uh, centers around the evolution of video. And I was really curious: why is video so important to you? And at what age did you decide? I'm going to be in this niche. I'm gonna spend more time learning about video.
1: Yeah, it's a a great question. I think that for most young entrepreneurs, uh, you typically are in your middle to late 20s, generally, when you get started. And for me, that was around 2004, five, six. And at that moment, that's really when the video ecosystem was starting to happen. Video could happen on the internet, which it just hadn't happened before. So I was pretty entrepreneurial my whole life, but I really saw an opportunity, a wave at that moment. And I had talked my way into Google back when it was a small thousand person company. And they were sort of looking around saying, well, who do we have that might know some of the video stuff as it, as it starts to happen? And I had started a, uh, a video production company in Hong Kong and Singapore before I was at Google, but it was more just have fun travel, do things. And uh, But I I talked my way into video for Google very quickly, was part of the team that acquired YouTube. And before I knew it, I was in the middle of something really, really big. So as far as advice, I I really try to tell entrepreneurs, look for those giant waves um, and then just hop on,
0: you know. One of the things that's been awesome in learning more about you is you seem to always be tied into the quote unquote wave. Um when we first met you were already moving into Alexa in voice in being one of the pioneers in that space. Do you feel that voice is the next uh wave of video or how do you feel about voice as it compares um you know to the different mediums that we could be using?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think finding those opportunities is so vital and you never know how they will turn out. Uh, I was involved with the, uh, the VR movement, uh, back in 2015 and 16, and that has not had the same impact that, uh, perhaps something like video has. And that, that's the part of uh, finding, finding trends and finding waves. Some are going to be big. Some are going to be small. Some are going to look really nice. It's, it's just like surfing. And I think with Alexa and voice, I think you really do have an amazing opportunity here uh, I don't know if it exactly looks like video. Video is, it's it's so natural. Um, we can't take our eyes off a laptop when you're sitting on an airplane. You, like you're just forced to look at a video screen. It's very natural. It monetizes well. With voice, we're not at that moment yet. But I think with voice, you know, the, the stat that really jumped out at me is that at, on Google, I think something like, and don't quote me on this, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's something like, Over forty percent of searches are now, or or maybe much higher, are now voice activated. Wow! Um, And that's through mobile, right? Uh, That number jumps out at me. So when I hear stats like that, as an entrepreneur, like I'm just trained, like I've trained my brain to go out when I hear that stuff. I just like my first automatic thought is, okay, how how am I going to play this? What am I going to do? How do I get involved? And in the case of the voice stuff. I ended up creating one of the larger voice communities online called Voice Entrepreneur um, solely. And, and the Voice co- Entrepreneur community was really about marketing and, and how to actually the business of voice. There are a lot of like voice technology brands out there, but no one was talking about how to make money from this stuff. Mm. So I just went out and did it. And I didn't know how I was going to make money from it, but I just went out and did it. And I really encourage entrepreneurs. Like I've just made, like you said, out of the last 15, 20 years, if I find something interesting, if I find it intellectually interesting, if I think it's a wave. I just jump
0: on it. You don't you don't allow the fear of, oh, I'm not going to be good enough or, oh, this isn't going to work. Um, you're able to push that aside and allow yourself to dabble in these different markets as long as you feel uh, excited about it. And I think that that's something that's really crucial is a lot of entrepreneurs I feel uh sometimes will follow the money whereas what you really want to is follow your passion follow the thing that really brings you alive and if you can uh turn that into a monetary you know stream it, do you do you feel the same way around focusing on passion or do you have a different uh, a different insight
1: you know I, th- I think for me um yeah I just I want to feel like it's something interesting and intellectually stimulating and then my, my whole strategy is I'll just I, I'm don't hesitate to just call people, hmm. and and so I'll find. Um, I'm a, like I would tooting my own horn here. Uh, I feel like I'm pretty good at getting on Twitter. Um, I'm still a voracious RSS feed person wow. because I don't want to miss stuff, and so I find the smartest people in 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 a industry, and then I just. I mean, I I'm am I'm, I stalk the crap out of people. And then I befriend them. I get to know them. I understand the best ideas. I offer them help. I offer them value. And before you know it, you're in an ecosystem. I don't worry about the money. What I worry about is finding the smartest people and then seeing if, like, I equate what we do to, like, musicians. Musicians, mm-hmm. like jazz musicians. They get together. They play. They jam. And sometimes it's amazing music. Sometimes it's not. But I want to find all the jazz musicians wherever i go so if it's voice if it's video if it's vr
0: that's that's just what i do so that's that's how i look at my own my own work i love the the analogy of the, of of jazz because like you said you can have the best jazz the jazz band and sometimes it's the best and sometimes it's not the best but the idea is that they're riffing off of each other and they're going for it i love that analogy uh, you had mentioned a little earlier that you know most entrepreneurs, not all but most start to find themselves in you know their twenties or their thirties. uh When did you find yourself thinking i'm an entrepreneur, I can do this or I can pave my own path Was it uh, at a much younger age or did you uh move into entrepreneurship as you got older?
1: you know uh, for me, I want to be very clear i uh i mean i didn't get good grades i bounced around. Uh, I would say that girls were a priority for me for a very long period of time. And I tried to be good at that. And I found myself in a series of relatively boring jobs. And I remember the epiphany I had, I was, I was working in a place in like Cupertino. Like it was like a temp job with like nonprofit insurance. It was like the most boring thing you've ever heard. And I had this realization, like, wait a minute, I think I can do anything I want to do. And I know that sounds really, it's like, well, of course. But when you, ha- I had that realization a week later, I flew to Singapore. I started a business, a video business with a friend of mine in Singapore. And that was the lesson to me that I could just invent anything I want to do. And once I finally learned it, like I, I'm still doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, Currently, I'm investing in startups uh, through SPVs. I'm doing interesting new stuff. I'm just constantly saying, like, I can just go do this, can I? <laughs> so it's it, it's it's been a great it's
0: been great for me. Constantly recreating yourself, recreating what you want to be doing uh, is that the way you're seeing it? Yeah, man. Like, I I don't know. Like, I think an entrepreneur can
1: be anything. So I, I don't need to label myself uh, in any way. Like, I, I just go after things. I've just I've stopped being embarrassed mm. and, and stop caring about what people think. And I'm like, you know what? I think an entrepreneur can be interested in voice and create a voice community and then jump and do something completely different. I work with a number of NBA athletes. I do a, a whole bunch of different things. Um, that's me. And, and I feel so happy about that. I've, I've really found myself through the work. I encourage entrepreneurs, like you learn through activity. You don't learn through analysis. You learn through activity so I encourage people to get out there, start talking to people. Whenever I'm in a uh, just a total like slump, I start calling people, and when I and I call people, and I start talking to people. And like before you know, in like two or three days, like things are happening. I, I love that.
0: I just love it. What advice do you have? Because I think there there's something you just said that's so crucial around when you're in a slump. How how do you get out of that slump? And I think, uh, you know, on one angle, there's this negativity, right? So if you're in a slump and you're talking to your best bud you're, you want, right, that misery loves company. You want to almost spread that negativity. How do you do it in a, in a positive way? How do you take a slump that you're in and connecting with people and turn it into something that's positive as opposed to just bringing all of these people down with you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I've, uh, like any entrepreneur, Entrepreneuring is a lonely profession. Mm. You can find yourself in a bad place. There's a lot of highs, a lot of lows. And, uh, like a month ago I was just like, man, nothing's working right now. I'm like bummed out. Like a couple of deals I was working on weren't working. It's like, man, am I really good? Like am I, am I just BS, right? And, and I actually encourage people. My advice, I take my own advice now. I call or email or contact five new people a day. So I'm not talking about calling my like best friend and connecting. I'm talking about finding new people. It's a really interesting process because what you have to do is ultimately sell yourself uh, to someone new and give them value and give. And when you start giving, like the whole world works by giving first, when you start giving, you get right back on track and you're like, yeah, I, I am valuable. Like what I'm doing is valuable. I, I, like I am doing what I thought I'm doing. And before you know it, you're back on track, you're killing it. And you're like the best advice, just stop stopping, stop, stop. You just,
0: whatever you do, just don't stop. When, bring us back into early life. So yeah. did you grow up in Los Angeles or it sounds a lot of your story has been around up north. Where, where, where'd you grow up? Yeah,
1: I, uh, I'm, uh, the son of my, my parents. My dad was a, uh, an economics professor, uh, an antique dealer. And my mom is a law professor. So we moved around to a lot of university towns. So I got used to selling myself, moved around to, I don't know, three or four or five schools. And I had to learn how to fit in with a whole bunch of different people. That was really, really valuable for me as a salesperson. Uh, I lived in Vermont. I lived in Arizona. I lived in Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. Uh, I moved around a lot and I just learned how to get by. Um, I was smart enough. Well, my sister was smart. My sister went to Stanford um, when I was in Asia and I was running that company. She was like, hey, Ben, why don't you come here, hang out for a little bit? I came. Uh, she had a friend who was very early employed, very, very early at Google. She's like, you know, he got a job. If he, if he got a job there, maybe you can. And I was very egotistical. And I was like, you know, Google would be lucky to have me, this little crappy company. And uh, think. And Sheryl Sandberg, David Fisher were, were uh, people I worked for. And it's like before I knew it, I was like, oh, like this is a big wave. Sheryl Sandberg I- from Facebook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It used to be at Google. Yeah. Back in the day. I mean, that was, that's how, uh, I mean, she did a number of interesting things, but, uh, yeah, that her, her, what she did at Google was pretty amazing. Actually.
0: What was, you know, for, I'm, I'm super curious myself. What was Google like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you had said it's this, you know, a little small company. Did it have even close to the breadth um, that it did today or, or back then was it just another startup?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was obviously, there was a lot of fanfare. Um, it had a raised a lot of money. People understood what it was going to be. When I joined, I joined in some like early 2000, uh, early mid 2003. Um, they were, I mean, the entire company had just got a deal to put their ads into the AOL search results. And that was like the biggest deal in the, in the company's history. So, uh, it was an exciting time because we knew that something was happening and it was big, but, uh, there was still just so much growth and, uh, you know, I think it's a it's an amazing place because there were so many young, smart people just killing each other internally. Mm. Like the credit I give Sheryl Sandberg is uh, she knows how to create a pla- uh, internally uh, a place where employees scratch and claw each other to get the best out of each other. In a, fr- I mean, it's competition. It's tough. Um, she creates that. It's just an amazing environment, though, because people are just working their butts off.
0: When I've read books on Google and they used to talk about, you know, the long interview processes, hours and hours, do you remember having an experience that was memorable or did you have such a a confidence about you that you were able almost to niche your own path into Google?
1: Well, uh, you know, like I, I, I really want to stress to people like to be clear, like the year before. I was a drifter. I I like, I think I worked at Starbucks at like an unusually high age. Like I got turned down (laughs) from Taco Bell, like Taco Bell turned me down to be clear. And I talked my way into Google. Um, I knew, I knew what they were looking for. I got really lucky in that Cheryl was sick the day. Like you have to do six interviews. Cheryl was sick that day. And I got Adam freed if, Adam happens to listen to this. Uh, Adam, no offense to you, but you're an easier interview <laughs> than Cheryl Sandberg. <laughs> and so uh, I felt like I just had a good one with with Adam and um, I understood what they're going for from, from a team perspective and from a people perspective because I had learned to listen as a kid. And I think that anybody can get into one of these great companies if they learn how to listen to people. And I know that's tried advice, but you have to listen to people. You have to understand how to help people and how to be a team. And if you're truly team first, you can go amazingly far. I found myself, you know, I didn't go to a fancy school. I worked at Starbucks when I was like 26 or something like that for five weeks. Like,
0: Taco Bell didn't want me. Highest paid. You had the most tips of everyone in Starbucks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but that will just take you incredibly far. Um, Yeah.
0: When you were at YouTube uh, and, and Google and just in that world, uh, was the idea of entrepreneurship kind of running around your brain or did it come later on? When when did you start thinking to yourself, like, I kind of want to do my own thing. I don't necessarily want to keep going down this path.
1: Yeah, I was lucky. I mean, YouTube and and, and Google at that time were very entrepreneurial. We were very small companies. Um, I was one of like 25 people in the early days of YouTube. Um, it was entrepreneurial. So I could do whatever I wanted. the The, the feeling back then was will allow you to do anything. We'll say yes to anything until we have to say no. And now I think it's the opposite, Mm. right? It's like we say no until we have to say yes. So I got to work on crazy stuff. Like I was trying to put together the first live stream video on YouTube, which was going to be, this is crazy. I haven't said this before. I was going to get Mike Tyson to battle Kimbo Slice, who was like a big deal for that, that like three or four month period. And... I got both parties to be like, yeah, we're, we're, we'll do this. And that night, Kimbo had like he he got beat by like like the they, like the guy he was supposed to fight couldn't make it, and they pulled the guy who was like selling ice cream, and that guy beat Kimbo Slice
0: in the UFC. You're talking about, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that.
1: And so it was the most embarrassing – it was basically like Kimbo Slice is a viral fraud. Yeah. (laughs) Because he was one of the first virals. And they're like, this guy is totally fraudulent.
0: Backyard fight videos getting absolutely worked by the ice cream guy.
1: Yes. And so I had to go into – it was the worst day ever at the YouTube because I had to go in the next day and just – we never talked about the deal ever again. Like, it just disappeared internally. Like, the Kimbo guys called me and they're like, we still have the deal, right? I'm like,
0: guys, like, I'm not even – I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's crazy how it's crazy how really it's crazy how boxing the 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 celebrity boxing world is like a thing now where they take these influencers on YouTube and you know pit them up. I mean that that yeah, seems to be pulling. Yeah. Uh, but I really do feel like the nostalgia around Mike Tyson and Kimbo that. Be the biggest live stream. Of it would have been. Cr-
1: it would have been crazy. It would have been crazy.
0: So knowing that you day to day felt entrepreneurial and that you had the the support from a real great team and system, uh, what was the sort of whether it would be the straw that broke the camel's back or the conversation that you had with a with a peer or a future partner that got you to uh, take that next step and, and really start your own business?
1: I would say it was it was this wave thing that I was talking about. I knew I had this, um, YouTube sent me down. I was the first YouTube, uh, person, a uh, business person in Los Angeles. They sent me down. I opened it up. YouTube technically was my apartment for, for a week or two, uh, down here in Los Angeles. And I saw a couple of waves. The first was that online video needed to, that, that the home was really Los Angeles instead of Silicon Valley. I saw that way before other people. So I was like, wait a minute, I'm really valuable down here. This is interesting. Mm. Um, the second insight was really to, to credit uh, my old work partner, a guy named George Trompolos, who founded Fullscreen. George, we didn't have the word influencer at that point, but we knew from work from our work at YouTube. We're like, George is like, hey Ben, like these people making videos, they can sell the crap out of stuff. They're selling more stuff like than any sort of celebrity can typically sell, and so uh with that idea, we're like, holy moly, do we understand? Like, we have an insight. We have a secret. We know something that other people don't know. And you have to understand, at this point in time, this is like 2009. Yeah, like 2009, maybe 2010. Like, I went with him to a couple of meetings in places like CAA, and they, they, they were like, you know what, we, we have uh, Oliver Stone and Oliver Stone may do this for the platform and may do this. And we're like, we don't care about Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone is not important in this, in on the internet. He's not important on YouTube. Right. No offense to, to Oliver, but he's not what we're talking about. He's not about. culture. He's, he's not, not, yeah. He's not going to sell stuff. Like, and we're still, I mean, if anything, I, I still think we're underestimating what influencers can do and sell product and how everything has changed just because we have so much existing structure, especially here in Los Angeles that we're still working through. It's like all the old stuff is still in place.
0: Yeah. I think influencers are really interesting because uh, I think that everyone is searching for the scalable way to work with influencers. Oh, let's tap into a network that then has a, all of these. But really, I, I feel like the best influencer deals happen behind the scenes, happen through business development and relationships and adding value, you know, finding ways to add value to their audience. Um, I think to your point, it's a, it's a market that while well, still is is tapped for sure, there's still a lot of opportunity left in the deal making portion and, and how they're able to build those relationships. When you uh, left uh, YouTube and you left Google and you started your own uh, business, what were some of the learnings or the takeaways that you brought from a big, bigger organization, maybe not huge, that you were able to bring into your first couple of months of running your business?
1: Yeah, so I knew uh, I, I had helped George get full screen off the ground when it was just a couple of guys in his living room and there was an excitement and it was like, wow, I, like I said, I could do anything. Um, I knew that analytics on the YouTube platform were terrible, and at the time, uh, a company called Buddy Media had just sold, and I was like, "Wait a minute, SAS I don't I'm not even sure we used the word SaaS at that moment either, but we're like, reoccurring revenue could be so badass. Let's create a company called Blaze. Let's do analytics. Let's have reoccurring revenue, and and. In some sense, we thought we were competing against the early days of Fullscreen and Zephyr and Maker Studios. Because we're like, you know what? We're going to win. We're going to be like Body Media. And with that sort of idea and that sort of excitement, that's when I started saying, wait a minute. Maybe I should raise some money. Maybe I should think about an
0: accelerator. Um, maybe, maybe I'm going to make a go out of this. So knowing what you do now and kind of rewinding yourself back to that moment – lot, a lot of people listening to this show are sort of at that exact moment right now where they're trying to decide, you know, is now the time to raise money or should I wait? Do you have any point of view or suggestion for any entrepreneur thinking about raising money? What's a couple questions that you may uh, suggest they think about?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, I definitely went into it not knowing as much as I probably should, but I think that's the way it works for, for, for most young founders. I think that, um, It's important to understand who you are, where you are, and what you want to do. And in my time as a founder, my time spending time with founders on all sides of the table, the ones that have the most definitive vision, meaning they know what they want to do, they typically are the companies that do the best over time. It's the young founders who start listening to people over here on their left. They start listening to the investors. They start listening to, I don't know, you and me. They they Mm -hmm. just listen to everybody and they get blown by the wind a little bit and they're not quite sure what they want to see happen. I think raising money is so incredible because it accelerates growth. But if you don't know where you're growing and you don't have a real vision, it can be, it can be pretty scary. Now within that, of course, you're going to move a few degrees left, a few degrees, right. But I mean, fundamentally, what do you want to be? I'm dealing with a company right now. Um, I'm leaning around and funding into this company and it's like, what do you, how big is your vision? How small is your vision? If what I say influences you, that's a bad sign. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't like that. So I think founders that, that, really understand what they want to be and they don't care about what anybody else says, that's such a great sign.
0: Why do you believe it's so important to have that conviction? Because we live now in a world where so much is changing and so much is, you know, everything is evolving. Um, having seen, having been on both sides of the table, you know, why do you believe vision is so important for early stage founders? I believe, look,
1: um, what you're doing is a serious endeavor as a founder and it involves people's lives. And I think that people forget that. And it's, it's a serious thing. I don't like owing someone a slice of pizza. I, I feel bad. Raising money, raising millions of dollars, it's not just like, hey, we're going to raise some money and like we'll see what happens. And typically that is the attitude that most founders yeah. have. They take it very, very loosely. That's not really
0: how it works. Yeah, I was talking to Anthony, you know, who, who runs Quake LA, and I, I asked him kind of a philosophical question. Like, do you think... That all of these people asking to raise money would raise money or ask to raise money if they knew they had to pay it back. It was there was no uh getting around the bush. We're like, would they still be running with that idea? And he kind of laughed and said, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't think so, right? Because I think a lot of people forget that you are taking someone, like you are asking for someone else's money, not not putting it up yourself. So uh, I always found that to be very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, the first thing I say, I've, I've spoken at a number of universities like USC and many others. And the first thing I say is like, please don't use fundraising as validation. It, it's it, like, you would be surprised. I acted as a VC for, for about uh, like about a year. I found it wasn't for me. But when I was a VC, oh my gosh, we were seeing 40 people a week come in and so many of them, it was like, it was so clear that they just wanted to be called smart by somebody and they just wanted someone to say, like, basically act like their mom and dad and be like, you know what? You are smart. You are good. You, like, you did it. And it's like, that's not the point of fundraising. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just amazing how much that phenomenon, and also founder's, In this culture, I've just thought that like the, the, the milestone is, is fundraising. It's like, no, 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 we're We're very far off
0: from that. Did you always know, I know that you didn't have a ton of research, but did you always know that Mucker was the team that you wanted to join or did it come serendipitously or was it through some learning or experience where you decided that was the right place to land?
1: It was, it was different days here. Um, even though it was 2012, um, silicon beach and los angeles were really just getting started they were starting to accelerate i had heard about will sue Uh, i heard he was a smart smart guy i wanted to connect with him and i really wanted um especially at that time i wanted people that had fought battles before in ways that i had not Hmm. now i knew from a business sense uh, from, from what we were doing with YouTube and analytics, I, we would be all right. But from a funding and financial perspective, I didn't have experience. And so I was really attracted to Will in that he was very, um, matter of fact, straightforward and helped me think through the right way of funding my company, financing my company. Um, and I needed that. So when I met with him, it was like, wow, this guy is super whip smart. And he knows that. So for me, that was, it was a no brainer
0: what stage of blaze were you at? Are these first days, first month, first year? Where, where were you when you first entered? I
1: think we were about seven or eight months in. I had just attracted a CTO, which is a big, big thing as a non, as a non, um, technical founder. I'd attracted a, a proven CTO. I had some young guys. Uh, we had some initial customers, but we didn't, we didn't have revenue, but we had some initial customers. And, uh, will will was like, yeah, man, we'll, we'll work with you. And, and I was excited because especially at that moment, um, I think that I was there, I was in their second class. Yeah. I think their second class and it was like every single one of their, uh, companies in the first class raised a boatload of money, did all the right stuff. And I was like, you know what? These guys have a flawless track
0: record. I'm going to work with them and learn when, you know, in hindsight, knowing that Mucker has I don't necessarily know if they've changed, but certainly I would imagine they've changed uh, some over the last several years. What were the benefits that you saw coming out of the Mucker Lab program or out of an accelerator? And I guess thinking about it from the context of from someone that's never even heard of an incubator, or an accelerator, why would they want to join something like that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that with accelerators and incubators, they're they're pretty great in teaching you the pace that companies move, that, start, that good startups move. You Talk to, to us more about the pace. You, you, have to move, you have to move fast, right? And you're moving generally on like a weekly, weekly scale. And you're like, man, we've got to grow every single week. That, that is the right pace. And that's, that sort of hustle is required uh, 100%. If you don't know that, you're gonna get your ass kicked.
0: If so you don't like, know that, you, you it ain't right for you
1: <laughs> immediately. So I think that that's like one of the very first things you learn going in there. Um, the relentless focus on growth is excellent. I know Y Combinator is very big on that. I, I'm just I pound my table on that. Um, I think that their help it wasn't like they really helped in terms of like fundraising introductions, but they helped me think through how to approach fundraising conversations. And that was important for me. There's a game. There's a, there's like the story. There's a science, not a science, but like there's, there's something going on where like you need to know the language, the inside language. It's not like, you know, like everyone compares it to dating and like playing hard to get and so forth. Yeah, it's that way. But like, you just need to understand subtle signals, subtle things going on. And if I hadn't joined the accelerator, I'm not sure I would have been smart enough to pick up on those things early on. That's really valuable in an accelerator.
0: Yeah, we had Eric uh, who who's the founder of TapCard, and he talked about the concept of uh, doing, you know, all of these pitches when you're pitching these investors a lot of people don't think about the value that you get from having some of the smartest people in the world over and over and over again help you craft your your story, your narrative, give you those notes. You know, you, a lot of people are like, "Man, like their ego is just battered down because they've gotten said no to." But I think that there's such an opportunity. Like, what other job in your life do you have where you get the best in that industry, kind of critiquing you, giving you notes? And I, I think that uh, that process certainly the. Uh, the microcosms or the, 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 small details like you're mentioning of just how do you uh, talk in a way that helps to push you down the field is incredibly beneficial.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I, I remember when I was at mucker uh, mucker lab, we did, I think I did my demo day pitch cause they had a demo day at them at that point. I think I did it something like 28 days in a row in front of at least
0: 15 people at each time. Like where else are you going to get that? That's pretty awesome. If you were to do it all over again, you're still run, You're still quote unquote, if you were still yeah. running your business and you were to do it all over again, would you have done it the exact same way at Mucker or are there different ways maybe you would have switched it up? You
1: know, where, where I think it like wasn't quite as strong and it's no fault really of Mucker, but in general, is that navigating all of these, and it's funny because I sort of am one, navigating all of these advisor types, um, that's one of the worst distractions to, to startups and founders and understanding who's actually helpful, who's actually preying on your company. I, I, I dealt with far too many advisors who are actually trying to hurt the company instead of help the company. Um, in the form of, in the form of wanting to get on the cap table, wanting to wheel and deal, wanting to maneuver, um, eh. Take employees, take ideas, move things over. Like I've seen it all Mm -hmm. and I saw it all through Blaze. Um, I used to think when I came into the accelerator, I used to think that the CEO was the high man on the totem pole. I found out through that program that CEO is probably on the middle, maybe a little bit lower than the middle of the totem pole. There's investors, there's people, they're like very high up that are high up in companies that are moving you around and understanding that you're not as high as you think you are is a really really good lesson to learn i worry that so many young startups don't have the skills to navigate these advisor types and i would that's one thing that i actually would love to bring to an accelerator is like don't listen to people like me watch out for people like me Understand where you're spending all this time. I mean, I remember at Marker, I'd get a phone call and I'd be like, hey, Will, hey, hey Eric, uh, this guy at Name Some Cool Company, he's interested in what we're doing. You know? And it's like, I actually needed to tell that guy, like, get away from me. Like, don't, don't even come near my company don't distract me. Don't take an hour of my time. Don't have coffee with me. Don't distract me with other introductions. That's the worst. You're getting introductions to introductions to introductions. Like I don't need those people.
0: What I need to focus on is growth. Why? And and maybe why is the wrong question. But uh, why are you so passionate around focus around distraction? Why are these two, uh, you know, kind of elements from the same coin are so important to the success of an early stage startup?
1: It's it's pure. I mean, speed and time is like your your asset as a startup and. That's the only way you're going to win. And I just don't think most people understand what a distract, understand what a distraction most stuff is. And it can be so tempting to see these interesting people in high up places start to give you phone calls and you think, well, maybe they'll lead to funding or maybe that will lead to some incredible partnership. And it's like, no, like you need to actually grow your business and that skill. Like that's where I think first time founders actually really fail.
0: I think time management are or-
1: they're terrible. They're terrible. They take way too many of these coffee meetings, way too many. Second time founders, I'm a pro like at this point, I know how to t- like I ignore people, I get rid of people, I know how not to say I'm having coffee. I'm just good at it. And that's the biggest difference between in my experience between first time founders and more experienced founders.
0: Yeah, I I think that one of the one of the elements of running a business or just being on a high-performing team that you don't uh, think about or, or typically you've never been taught is around the concept of a switching cost. When you are mentally like in your zone, in your element, and you're like, oh shit, I've gotta jump into this coffee, now you're in a different sort of a sales element. And then if you have to go back into coding, you're and so when you are just stacking your day with all of these distractions, you're not even considering that there's even more cost associated to switching between the different tasks.
1: I, I know it's a crazy example, my, our credit card, my wife and I, we got a um, something in the mail. The credit card is like, we want to send you 12 free magazines. My wife's like, Oh, let's pick up some magazines. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do it's that. A
0: distraction.
1: Do you I'm- know how much mail we're going to get? First of all, from other parties? Secondly, do you understand how many of these magazines we're going to have to lift carry? We're going to have to recycle them. I know it sounds so small and tiny, but it was like, I don't want to deal with 12 magazines times all of that mail, times all of that recycling, times all of, I was like, that's a distraction.
0: Outside of of that key learning, because I think it's a phenomenal learning, what was something that you learned coming out of Mucker or coming out of any VC program that uh, you weren't expecting? Um,
1: I, th- I what, I'm, what I wasn't expecting was sort of twofold. One was that you're not nearly as important as you think you are. Um, And you see that because you're around other startups and you, and like, that's both good and bad. Like it's nice to be in the trenches with other startups and you do get some camaraderie. But on the other hand, you see that like, man, you're not doing anything cool. You, and like, you're not, you're not anywhere near where you should be. That's a really good lesson to learn as a, as a startup. So I love, I love, I love when that happens. And I think that it's just a matter of also, also understanding that like with whoever runs the program, you start to see like which companies are winning and which ones are losing. Mm. And like I didn't anticipate I was like, oh wow, I was jealous, like um Black Tux was in my uh my class and was like, man, these these guys these two guys were just doing like tuxedos and it was like sort of a joke almost in the office. And I was like, wait a minute these guys are kicking your ass. Like, wait a minute. These guys have a really good business. And then like Will and Eric had them go first in the demo day and stuff. It's like, Oh shit. The black tux is a big deal. <laughs> and even now it's like, wow, this company's like, they made they, it. They made it. Um, understanding that is really, really valuable. Um, so, so I'm very grateful for all of those experiences.
0: I think for me, it's been, um, truly around how hard it is to run a sustainable business. I mean, I was in the mucker class either right before you or right after you with Instacanvas and you know, whether it's Instacanvas or laughter or uh, what's the company that did uh, Surf Air yeah, or yeah. Washio or Laurel and Wolf or I mean, there have been so many companies that over the last 10 years I've admired and looked up to and the teams are incredible. The mission's incredible. Everything, like all the things are going for them but it's fucking hard to run a sustainable business that's paying everyone their profits and making it, and uh, it's just been this learning that even the best, even the bla- even the number one on the demo day reel even those guys can get knocked out at eight years in, 12 years in, 15, you know, it's just insane to run a sustainably long business.
1: It's it's wild. It's wild. And like, that's why I like that jazz musician analogy. It's like, man, you, you, gotta, you gotta like gotta playing music. On. You have to like playing music. And then it's like, enjoy the jam, enjoy the process.
0: Cause that's ultimately what you're doing. Let's talk about leadership. Um, you know, when you mentor and advise startups, uh, m- mainly CEOs, what are the sorts of tips that you give to, to running a really smooth or high-functioning team?
1: Yeah, generally I'm working with CEOs in helping them prioritize for the most part. I mean, it's, it's like we we're saying sort of time management, but that, that doesn't make it sound right. It's, it's really like understanding what drives revenue, what how, how to create a team, how to create structure, how to, how to make people work for you instead of against you. And CEOs oftentimes... Um, it, it, especially first time uh, CEOs they get distracted they start mm-hmm. feeling like something is really important it's like let me tell you what's important fundraising is important revenue and sales and deals are important and people are important that's it and it's amazing how many things distract people so i typically help founders with that i really help them figure out what the key dot like Generally, they're dominoes in businesses. So it's like if you get one, then you're going to get a whole bunch of them. Sometimes that's really hard to see. I work with a uh, startup called Bonsai in Toronto. And terrific. They do shoppable commerce and terrific young, very young CEO. And for him, it was just a matter of like working with him and figuring out what was important. And it was like, look is A, B, or C going to going to make your business work? And he's like, well, they're all important. It's like, well, let's go through this. Mm. And by the time we were finished, we we're like, whoa, it's, it's A. A is the thing we have to do. And if you can do that over and over and over again, it just creates magnificent results. They've raised a ton of money. They're making it. I mean, I can't talk about the deal that we're just closing, but uh, we created a monster partnership. That's um, a, a big eight-digit, multi-eight-digit deal. It's just awesome. And it's like, that's, through
0: the hard work of prioritizing and making things work and in learning the art of the deal. Did you always or ever have a mentor growing up? You said before you moved to Singapore, there was almost like a voice in your head that was like, I got, I can do this. Uh, was that driven by yourself and moving around a lot as a kid or did it have to do with someone, whether it be family or, or a mentor that sort of helped give you that push?
1: You know, I wish I had a mentor and it's one of the things that really, um, bugs me. And, um, very honestly, like my dad wasn't, um, is there as much as I probably would have liked. Uh, for me, I found I found it through reading. I, I'm a voracious reader. Um, I spent a large part of my 20s, um, this is embarrassing, I've never said this, but I spent a large part of my 20s in the Borders bookstore in downtown Palo Alto reading almost every night. Even when I was at Google in the first year or two, that's what I did. And What were you looking for? I, I read everything, man. I, I'm a crazy reader. Um, I re- I've read every business book in the, uh, borders bookstore, probably times like 10, um, just to get one nugget, one thing I, 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 like, I, I was obsessed with learning and I just knew that like down the road it would come in handy and that's what I credit. Like, I still have that. I, I wake up at five in the morning every morning and it's just like, get me, get me. I
0: need to read. I have to read. Anna Barber, uh, who, who's the managing director at Techstars LA said that the number one skill an entrepreneur can have is the ability to know how to learn. Uh, do you agree with that statement or do you have a different take on it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I agree on like a macro level. Um, I think life is effectively just learning right as, as human beings, like we're algorithms that keep learning stuff. Um, so, so I agree in that sense. I think that, um, yeah, I, I guess, I, I guess that's, I guess that makes sense. Uh, I, I, think human, I think human beings like learning through other people and, um, understanding communication and listening. It's like, I can't say it enough. It's like, I thought I was a good listener and then I found out it was a shitty listener mostly through <laughs> my <relationships>. wife. <laughs> yeah. Mostly through fail Well, actually not my wife It's like bad girlfriends where like things fell apart and I had a nasty one when I was like 35, and I was like, wait a minute. Like, I had always, people were always like, oh, Ben, you're such a good talker. And I was like, I thought it was like Sherlock Holmes. And it was like, wait a minute, What? how did I miss all this stuff? And I was like, maybe I'm not listening as much as I, I thought I was. And when I really started to take that sort of stuff seriously, I, it's funny, it was like all relationship stuff, I like I I like basically studied modern relationship theory for this sounds crazy but like I told you I'm pretty obsessive about reading like for six months I was reading like four hours a night on relationship theory stuff mostly to get over the breakup but when I did that I was like oh my god my business life exploded because it's the same skills Mm -hmm. it's the exact same skills of listening picking up on stuff making people feel safe it's crazy damn there's a guy named Al Turtle. Um, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe I'm saying this, but, uh, there's a guy named Al Turtle on the internet. He's like 70 years old. He has a whole bunch of free essays online and I studied Al Turtle. Like it was like the Bible and Al Turtle changed my life. I mean, I really, I really mean that. Um, so if you're, if you're curious, check out Al Turtle online. Um, he doesn't sell
0: anything. I mean, you could, yeah, I don't think he sells anything at least but um it's just read any other books um that that ring a bell again let's think about the 20 to 30 year old entrepreneur that's jumping into the bookstore if they they have a bookstore uh anything that sticks out to you is like the must-have should be in anyone's bookshelf yeah i
1: mean um it's a popular one but the hard thing about hard things is just like an amazing it's an amazing book because it like shows <laughs> you that this it's this stuff is brutal and hard and like you have to be ready for it. I think that uh Shoe Dog is, is similarly um both of those get mentioned a lot. Those are those are such good books. But then on like on a different level there's a um he's a little bit of a yeah, I shouldn't say this, but he's a little bit of a cheesy entrepreneur, but there's a guy out there he's more of like a direct market entrepreneur guru type named uh, Russell Brunson. Russell Brunson has a fan, has click a funnels, right? Yeah, he has a fantastic three book. Well, two books right now, but third's about to come out. Those books are so good. They're so clear on how to build a sales funnel, how, how to actually create copy and like make it all work on the internet today. So if you're out there, if you're like, you know, you want to be a guru or you want to have an Instagram following or whatever you want to do, check out those books because they're, they really are excellent. Um, and he's not overtly selly, selly in them, like trying to make you buy stuff, but he'll, he'll definitely
0: make you try to buy stuff if you look at forum online. So I think a lot of, you know, what's amazing about the accelerator, the incubator startups in general is just the community, right? And I know for you, community has been a huge portion of your day to day. You say you, you know, are trying to outreach to five, 10 new people every single day. What is chance bending both from either the podcast side or the venture side? And uh, what, what's the dream, you know, when you kind of f- look into the future, uh, what is the podcast and what are you hoping to gain out of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, my, my sense is, um, my brand is called chance bending. When your name is Ben Smith, you basically have to come up with something. <laughs> like, it's so generic. It's so crazy. Um, so you need to come up with something. And my thing is called chance bending and chance bending is really this idea of bending the odds to make them work for you. And in for entrepreneurs, for everyone in life, like, that's a really valuable thing to like create a conscious, your own conscious path and deliberate path uh, to success so I what I think of myself doing is like I'm helping entrepreneurs. I coach entrepreneurs. I coach businesses. I help with sales. I invest in companies. I'm basically just trying to make a difference and bend chance with entrepreneurs. Like I said, I'm not putting a category on it. I but like I'm doing things in in all elements. Like I feel like I'm a guy who can invest in companies, but I can also sell consulting. I can also write stuff. I can also talk about stuff. I can do all of the above. And I'm not
0: worried right now about what that's called. And I found that makes me a little bit of a rarity. Yeah. What are you most excited about right now, whether it's business or outside of business? What's what's getting you fired up each week and um, anything that you'd like to tell the viewers about? just think it's an amazing time right now. You can go out, you can create it. We could create
1: a business right now in less than an hour right here at this table. And we should film an episode like that. I love that. that. Yeah, we should. We really should. It's awesome. It's It's a great idea. It's It's crazy. And the downside to that is when I get contacted by entrepreneurs for either consulting or for investment, it's not good enough just to have a good idea right now. And I think that's where Coefficient Labs comes in. It's like, man, you have to be growing. Like if there's one thing I tell people, it's like, VCs don't like, cause I get some people come to me when they want to raise money. Basically is what it comes down to when they come to me. I'm like, guess what guys, you don't raise money on a good idea. You raise money on growth. It's like, you don't raise money on the car. It, you raise money on how fast the car is going. And we argue as investors, basically on how, if we agree on how fast the car is going, but we don't argue about the car. And it's like, Oh, that's what's going on here. So I'm excited when I see young businesses that are really focused on growth. And I think there you can just go any like right now, there's a million different things you can do. I've built an Amazon business. You can like Shopify is just an amazing story. Um, I'm excited about like where everything is going right now with I'm actually um while I'm not excited about VR, mm. I think there's so many interesting things going on with uh events like like this whole marshmallow thing in Fortnite is so exciting this idea i I think yeah there's something like
0: you're talking about like having a music festival in the Fortnite game or something like that right where there was like people gathering
1: yeah like the the concept of an avatar over the next year or two it's really changing i'm also really really excited from a live stream sense people don't mind spending money now with doctors and athletic trainers and th- like this is what you're seeing with peloton this is what you're seeing with um all of the, these medical uh, people spend money in a live stream with someone they've never met this is a new phenomenon over the last year year and a half where people feel okay i'm old i've lived through when people didn't want to give a credit card to amazon to make it clear but we're at that moment right now with live stream so everything is open with live stream i'm so excited Like. I could spend money to learn from somebody through live stream in any field. And we're seeing so many different industries and fields where that's starting to happen. It's such a big moment. So I'm looking for that. I'm investing in that. I'm finding different industries and fields where that's happening right now.
0: It's like, it's genius. Ben, for, for those entrepreneurs or, or VCs or LPs listening to this that want to get in touch with you and want to connect, uh, what's the best way? What, what, what are the socials?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you can go to bensmith.tv on the internet. That's my website, www.bensmith.tv. Um, we're doing a new cool thing. I like, I created this quiz called the entrepreneur credit score quiz. Okay. Um, because basically I want entrepreneurs to know like where they are. And so I, I, you actually can take, it's short, it's a few minutes then we give you a credit score and we're like, this is how, this is like what type of entrepreneur you are, we're like how good you are. So you can come check that out. It's just like something we're doing for fun. Cool. Um, and yeah, I'm not that hard to find. Um, find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, yeah.
0: You know the deal. Beautiful. Uh, ben, thank you so, so much for coming on this episode of Demo Day. I'm Sean Goldfan, your host. This is Demo Day. Thank you, Sean. Peace. Next on Demo Day. I stress this with all of our founders, the mental health, Uh, component of being a, a founder is so vital.